Big Blue made it interesting, but ultimately dropped their season opener to the Steelers. We break down the good, the bad, and the ugly from the loss. We also dive into Saquon's struggles and what young Daniel Jones needs to learn as he continues to develop. We also chat with the guy who made his Monday night football debut calling the game on ESPN, the great Kirk Herbstreit. All that and more next on Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome in to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get podcasts. But if you're using Apple, please give us a five-star rating and write in a positive review. We appreciate your support. As we recap the Giants' season opening loss of the Steelers, the guys will be joined in the second half of the show by the man who made his Monday night football debut calling the game with Chris Fowler. It's the soothing sounds of Kirk Herbstreet dropping by. Speaking of the guys, here they are, your host of Blue Rush Podcast. It's Giants beat writer Paul Schwartz and two-time Giants Super Bowl champion Lawrence Tynes. Tynesy, Paulie, take it away, fellas. Paulie, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic after last night. You know, the Giants lost for the ninth time in the last 10 years in their opener, okay? So this is what they do. They start the season 0-1. You're optimistic. I think a lot of Giants fans have some optimism, but they're also thinking we lost again. We got to get into this because I'm less optimistic probably than you are, but I guess that's an old crusty veteran like me versus a young buck like you. Well, why are you optimistic? Well, I really liked a lot. You know, they played against a playoff team. There's no doubt the Pittsburgh Steelers are a playoff football team. And that front, seeing Daniel Jones stand in that pocket and and fire away early. And obviously, we'll talk about some of the things he did later. But I just really thought he made strides. And that was the one thing this team needed. He stood in that pocket against one of the best fronts in football and, and made some plays. And listen, he had a pretty decent night. We obviously have a couple turnovers that we need to eliminate, but defense really played well. I thought in the second half, they just got gassed, you know, the three and outs and, and being on the field as long as they were. And then Ben started to get into a little bit of a rhythm. And, you know, they have some weapons on that side of the football, but I, I think the arrow is pointing up the fighting Joe judges. Now, you know what? I, I hear a lot what you're saying. And yes, the Steelers are really good team. I mean, if if the Steelers are in the AFC championship game in several months, no one's going to be shocked by that, right? They're really good. They're really good defense. But I I want to know, I mean, you're talking as a fan and also as a former player and as now as a podcast guy in that locker room after that game, okay? The things that you're saying, is any of that in there in the locker room as far as, man, we lost the game, but the Steelers are really good. We showed strides. Or is it 0-1? Man, we got to get better. Because, you know, I, I think fans are torn. We lost again, but we're playing playing a really good team. Do the players inside there think that, or they just look at it a big fat L? Well, there's going to be some guys that had good games, right? Slayton's going to be a guy that feels good about himself. I, I think Andrew Thomas, I think some of the people on the other side on defense that played well will feel good individually about their, their game. But overall, there's no moral victories in the mm-hmm. NFL, That's right? Yep. There's, yep. there's just not. There's 16 chances to get to the show, and that was one, and they lost. So I think what you'll see you know, this next week of preparation they're going to be hungry because they're going to realize as players there was moments that they had chances to win this football game and self-inflicted turnovers and bad decisions resulted, in my opinion, in them losing the football game. Not converting the muffed punt is a travesty. 
I think to me, everyone points to the turnover later. You get up on them 10-0, I think you're playing with a different play call. You're calling plays differently. The Steelers are calling plays differently. For some reason, and this has been before Garrett and the last six or seven years, they can't get in the damn end zone from three yards out. It's mind-blowing. Now, now that was, you know, you're a special teams guy, right? So when your, your team is kind of starting the season, you get a lift like that. Look, it's a muffed punt, right? It's a good punt. You got to score. It's down deep. It's a muff. Devontae Downs, who I wrote about this week in the New York Post, making his first start. Special teams, bang, pounces on the ball on the three-yard line. And you're right. But, you know, this was a recurring theme that started right away. Saquon plus one. Okay, they're on the three-yard line. It's not a five-yard loss. Saquon plus one. And you just get this sense right there. Okay, they're not going to be able to run it in. And then, you know, you have that uh, Daniel Jones almost fumbles, right? I I know you thought it might have been a fumble. Uh, Nick Gates. It was a fumble. Well, I I don't know about that. I I think his hand, I think his arm was moving forward. You don't think his arm was moving forward? No, you know, John Perry's in the booth with that with that crew that called the game last night, and he clearly said it was a fumble. Now that's his view in the booth, so but I think, thought it was a fumble. You think Joe Judge should have? Giants. Yeah, I think he should have. So he's going to have to take a lap for that. Yeah, Joe Judge should have. You know, if, if, if you know that's pretty bold. You know, early in his career, he challenges a, a, a non-fumble call. The thing that made it so interesting is Nick Gates, the new center, falls on a ball in the end zone. Giants touchdown, no. Okay, they, they get the ball back, and then you know on third down, and this was something. And and you know if we're going to do our our you know three stars of the game and three goats of the game, I think the first one, two, and maybe three, well, I'll give him two, was Evan Ingram. I mean, he runs the route short. It looks like, you know, the ball comes on him quickly on on third down there. It's just a bad play. And Evan Ingram, in, in early in that game, he starts the game with a drop. He misses a block. He runs a bad route in at the end zone. And then later he has an offensive pass interference. And Lawrence, I don't know about you, but I, I would have Evan Ingram before the season is maybe one of my top five or six or seven guys is he has to stay healthy and have a big year. What a dud to start the season. I, I agree there. I mean, how many times every year I feel like he had a great camp and we're waiting for him to do something. He's got to show up. It's it, This is big boy football. It's time for him to start playing and making some plays. He was an early pick for the Giants. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sick of the rhetoric of he's got this so much potential. He can do this. We need to see it. And if not, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants trade him. If, if somebody wants him before the the middle of the season thinks they can do something with them. He just hasn't really helped his football team consistently. And you talk about the mistakes in the first quarter, not traveling with Daniel Jones. I would have went for it on fourth down. You're punting the ball anyway. You get a gift, right? The ball's inside the five-yard line. What's the worst that can happen? You know, go for it, score a touchdown, or you get nothing. The field goal felt like a loss anyway after getting the ball where they did. So, yeah, Evan Ingram needs to play better. You know, I like him. We like him when he's healthy. We like him when he makes big plays, but they're just few and far between. And and he needs to step up. Well, it's interesting because he is on, uh, um, he's cheap. I mean, if you want, you know, sometimes you want to trade a guy and you can't trade him. He's uh, he's signed for his fifth year option. So, you know, look, we're all of a sudden we're trading Evan Ingram after one game and he maybe will have three touchdowns in Chicago. But I agree with you that, look, these are Joe Judge guys, but they're not Joe Judge players yet, right? We don't know who a Joe Judge player is yet. He hasn't, you know, this is his first roster. And it's, one thing was very noticeable, Lawrence, is that Joe Judge talked up Evan Ingram more than almost any player this summer. Almost like he was pleading with the guy. Look, we need you, big guy. We need you, and and you got to show it to me. And 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 showing incredible 
optimism and, and positivity towards Evan Ingram. And he's not going to, you know, I'm sure behind closed doors, he's not going to give a lot of that, you know, after this game, you're right. That that was, um, you know, I don't know if they're trading him, but it was a, um, it was a very alarming first game for him. No question. Yeah. And coaches do that from time yeah. to time. They will talk through the media, through sure. you guys to get to the player because every player that says they don't read everything is a liar. We, we read everything, Twitter posts, all the other. And if you don't stuff. read it, then your friend or your wife or your wife's brother-in-law or somebody else yeah. reads it and then tells you about it, right? That's what I find happens. Your mom's time. calling you and saying, why is this guy being so mean to you? Well, that's just pro football and he needs to start playing better. I'm, 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 uh, I'm bearish on uh, Ingram if he was a stock. I, he needs to get going. Yeah, no, I I, I don't disagree at all. And, and one guy who did get going, you know, we mentioned Daniel Jones. He got going fine. You mentioned how he stood in there. Joe Judge after the game was very quick to say that this guy stood in there versus a very, very, there were guys in his face all the time. I mean, I don't know about you, but I um, heard, this is a post-exclusive, that Bud Dupree, the NFL called and asked Bud Dupree for his cleats and his jersey, and they're shipping them right to Canton, okay? Because he is the first player who will play an opening game on a Monday night and get inducted right into the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was unblockable. He was Lawrence Taylor-like, and and Bud Dupree's a good player, but he needs to give some of his salary this week to Cam Fleming, the new right tackle for the Giants, because he just could not block him. But that, that, look, that was a issue they have to solve up front. What did you see from Daniel Jones? Tell me the good first, and then, you know, we have to talk about the two turnovers, the one absolute killer after that mammoth drive. But you are bearish or bullish on Daniel Jones after week one. I am bullish. I I just really like the way he commanded the team and and his just his presence was different. You know, obviously he's put on some weight. He did look physically stronger, but the way he stood in that pocket, and obviously you mentioned the touchdown pass. I think he had a nice tweet last night where he was able to step up twice and fire a strike to Slayton. Um, That's something we haven't seen in years. The Giants offensive line has a way of making Hall of Famers out of people early in season. So listen, Bud Dupree's a great player. Watt's a great player. I just really liked a simple word, toughness. Daniel Jones showed me some toughness last night, standing in the face of pressure all night in front of a, a better line, but still not good enough. Uh, on the edges. I thought Andrew Thomas played outstanding. Um, We didn't hear his name much last night, which was good. But the right side got beat up a little bit. The tight ends didn't really help out over there. So arrows pointing up for Daniel Jones. I really... Yeah, I really think he's, you know, and obviously the the people calling the game last night, Kirk and, and Chris really were loathing over, over him. So he's he's a good player and we just need to get going. We need to, like we said, everything starts up front and, and that's kind of been their issue. It was better, but I still don't think it's good enough yet. Now, the interception, I mean, this this is this is something that we don't see very often. A, a 87 yard drive, 19 plays and, and those 19 plays, it was a little bit here, a little bit there. I think they converted four first four third downs one fourth down and Daniel Jones, right? It was a little bit of a highlight reel for him throwing for it, getting out of pressure, running for a first down, you know, just, just making something out of nothing. The stuff that Eli Manning really never could do. And, you know, this is not going to be a referendum. Eli good, Daniel good, you know, they're different players. They're similar, but they're different. And Daniel Jones kind of manufactured something on that drive, but then he gets hit. He should have eaten the ball and, and the ball floats up and a 300 pound defensive tackle makes the interception in the end zone. And it's just one of those things Joe Judge said after the game, it is cannot happen. Daniel Jones didn't want to analyze it too much. 
he said, well, I, I, you know, I need to make a better play there. I want that one back. But look, he's a second year guy. I know that. But that was that was I felt obviously that was the biggest play of the game in my mind. The Giants are ready to go up there. Instead, they get nothing. It's a disastrous play, isn't it? It's a it was a huge mistake on his part. The positive is you, you love that he's trying to make plays. The negative is in the red zone. You just can't do that. You throw the ball away. He did it later in the game. It didn't mean anything. There was a play real late in the game where he threw it right into the you know facade of the, the stadium. But right there, he's got to get rid of the football just down the sideline. You don't have to throw it through the end zone. You know, I think he was thinking maybe is this going to be grounding? But hell, even a grounding penalty there is better than than what happened. But you love his aggressiveness. Big play. Last year it was the fumbles. This year we're kind of talking about interceptions. I will talk about his first pick, though, because I think that's a play that very few players are going to make. And I think any quarterback in the league is probably going to get that picked off just because of the the talent of of TJ Watt. I mean, that was an incredible play. He knows he's not going to get there. He's pressuring the quarterback. He drops off in coverage, which he's probably not even in the X's and O's of the play, and just makes a play. And that's why T.J. Watt is T.J. Watt. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, sometimes a guy makes a great play, and great players tend to do that. One thing I noticed about Daniel Jones was that he was more cautious with the ball. Did you notice at one point he was scrambling? He had two hands on the ball, and he could have extended to get the first down. He did not. You think, man, they got to get the first down. Another time he ran out of bounds, could have extended maybe with his left arm, did not. And so you say, well, look, you got to get the first down, kid. But then you say, if you do and you expose the ball, it might get taken away. That's been drilled in his head. So that that's something I think it's a positive. There's a fine line there, and he's going to find it, I think when you need to make the play when you don't but it, it's it's it just shows he's it's kind of not all natural to him it's kind of has to come together for him at this point yeah and he's he, he's made a lot of strides and obviously Kirk talked about it he he just has not been around the team you know been in in practices that like they said they've only been with the coaching staff for a month and obviously uh ball security was a big emphasis this year he did that he, he's gonna have a good year I think he's gonna have a big year one of his receivers, guys, that LT tweeted about. We got to get a reaction to this, Tynesy. Uh Darius Slayton, greater than OBJ. I want to hear your explanation for that and, and why you think that, if true, or if you were just playing with everyone. Listen, I, I like to gas people up on Twitter. There's no no hiding behind that. I like to get a reaction out of people. I just want to hear what people have to say. But through week one, no one can argue with that that tweet because I think what Darius Slayton brings to the table is a workmanlike demeanor. He shows up. You don't hear a lot about him. He's a big-time player. He had eight touchdowns last year. He's on pace for 32 this season. That would be a record. Well, hold on, hold um, on. 30, oh, uh, here he goes. So, so kickers, kickers, kickers can add, huh? Kickers yes. can see. He's on pace. Listen, we can do this in week one. We can do two say whatever the hell we want right two now. Two times 16 is what, Lawrence? What are we, what are we 32. Have? He's on pace for 32 touchdowns, which would be a franchise and NFL record. Which would put him into Canton in the Hall of Fame immediately. He's going – Derry Slayton is going to the Hall of Fame. Having said that, OBJ, no doubt, is a far superior talent. But I think what the Giants needed and what they why they got probably traded Od- Odell is they didn't know they had this Slayton guy. They got lucky with the draft pick late in the draft. He is a bona fide number one wide receiver, in my opinion. 
the numbers he puts up, the way he plays, he made some spectacular catches last night, but he workman like 102 yards, two touchdowns. That's number one receiver type numbers. Would you agree? This That was his fourth game with at least with two touchdowns in a game. And I believe he has nine touchdowns in, in his last 10 games. So it's not like, you know, he just has a good game here and there. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because we look at him and I look at him, you know, I'm guilty as charged. He's a fifth round pick from Auburn. He's got some nice size, got some nice speed. Okay, maybe he'll make the team and it'll be a complimentary guy he's their best receiver right now it, it and, and and I don't even know if I have to qualify it with right now he's got more size he's got more vertical speed than Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate when Golden Tate gets healthy so this does happen at times right I mean the first round yeah. picks are great second round picks are great sometimes a guy is just a really good player and he had a lot of drops in college people were concerned about that the first time I talked to him in training camp I went away I was in the in the in the uh, field house and I had an interview with him and I didn't know him I didn't make had met him before and I said okay I'll talk to this guy Darius Slayton he's a rookie he looks good in, in practice and I came away thinking holy cow this guy first of all he's got a great voice I mean he, he's a guy who can make a living in radio or TV he's got a great voice he's got a great presence and he was tremendously interesting to talk to so you put that in your back of your head this guy's got something now let's see if he can play he's got something he can play I would like to be his agent and, and be working on that second contract already because it's going to be it's going to be up there yeah Antonio Brown was a late pick I mean you can find these guys I'm not comparing him to Antonio Brown, but I mean, if you really look at the numbers early in his career, I mean, this guy was a, is a bona fide first round pick that somebody missed somehow, some way, or he's really developed at the pro level with the coaching and the everything about pro football has pro- probably made him a better receiver. Yeah, talking about another bona fide first round pick you know Saquon Barkley it was it was a fascinating night because because it's just it's just sometimes when you look at numbers and you say okay that does not add up that is a misprint there's something wrong with that number we all know sports right guys hit 300 guys hit 40 home runs guys you know score goals got you know save percentage all this stuff kickers with field goal percentage right you see you got a kicker with a field goal percentage of you know 47 you say okay that's a misprint it's got to be 87 right then you look at Saquon Barkley and you say 15 rushing attempts and six yards I say no it's got to be 60 yards right no, it's six yards. It was it was an incredibly poor performance. He had, I think, a similar, what do you have, 10 carries for one yard, I think, against the Jets last year. So is this Saquon needs to adjust and needs to, you know, hit the hole harder? Or is it that the offensive line uh, at some points in these games and in, in these seasons is a disaster when it comes to run blocking? Well, his game last night was historically bad. I think it was an all-time top five worst game for someone with 15-plus carries. But having said that, it's a little bit of the offensive line. It's a little bit of Saquon. It's a little bit of play calling. It's a little bit of everything. The play I loved was when they got him out in space, you know, on that screen play. And he, when you see him move vertically, it's pretty special to watch, to watch him run. And, you know, he probably needs to stop jumping. He's going to get his head taken off and lose a football. But to watch him move with the ball, I just think they got to do a better job getting him the ball in space, whether it's a little screen pass or something out in the flats. Get him get him the football because the running game game was not working last night and listen I kudos to to Garrett for for trying but at some point you got to wave wave the white flag and and move on and you know they tried Gallman um I didn't really see Lewis get any carries or or Penny but they just got to figure that out that's a great front but I don't think they're that good they just got to figure out 
their their run fits and you know where Saquon fitting did he miss some holes you know I didn't look at the film that close but I'm sure there's a couple of runs there and I'm sure he'll look at them and maybe coach judge will say this today or tomorrow that there were some yards to be had he just didn't really you know get to him because he is a home run hitter I'd like to see him take the three and four yard yeah, run sometimes totally agree totally agree and that's what Jason Garrett's going to learn from Saquon Barkley versus Ezekiel Elliott Ezekiel Elliott takes the singles he and does doubles. he really he does. does and the one thing Mike Tomlin said and this will be a scouting report for every Giants opponent is Mike Tomlin said we had a commitment and we weren't going to be bashful about that commitment his commitment was eight men in the box Saquon we stop him and 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 Mike Tomlin admitted we put our back end in some bad situations sometimes he said you know those guys can't beat us Saquon can beat us and look we know if the Giants run for less than 30 yards in a game they are going to lose every time so this is a warning flag for the Giants. There's no question. Yeah, and to, to add on to that, I would really like to see him, you know, you watch Lev Bell when he was running really well and some of the greats out there and, and Ezekiel Elliott, they will take the three or four yard run. Second and six and second and seven is a whole lot better than second and 15. You just like to see that. Maybe he'll he'll grow into that. You know, it's it's been three years now and he's still is always looking to score every time he touches the ball. So hopefully they figure that out. Let's wrap it up on this before you hand it off to Kirk Herbstreet. Uh, the NFC East just want to look around the division as week one. I mean, it was ugly for the Eagles. It was ugly for the Cowboys, who are expected to be the top two teams in the division. Uh, what'd you see from the rest of the NFC East this weekend? Well, it's just what I've been telling you guys all along. The Washington football team will finish in first place. I mean, did you delete that, Jake, when I said that the last podcast? Is that what you said? And I, I, I forgot. Washington football team, which is what might be the team name uh, all season and for, for many years to come. Uh, a real tongue twister uh, trying to say that. But yeah, I, I think I, we, we missed that, Paul. We, we missed you uh, calling that one. You hit the delete button on. First of all, Washington football team will not be the name for years to come. It will be the name this year so they can extract as much money out of selling garb and uniforms and things and have swag. WFT, right? That's it. They're going to sell that like crazy. Then they're going to come up with a new logo and a new mascot. And in 2021, they're going to blow that out and that will make all the money. Do you guys have name favorites? What, what, what was your, what's your name in the leaderboard for them? Uh, uh, Washington. Yeah, what would you want to call um, them? Uh, it's not the Warriors. Uh, didn't we have the um, the Red Red Tails, Washington Red Tails? I guess That's I can, terrible. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. Of that one. What about the Generals? Well, they've already done that, though. I don't know if they would go back. Well, to the Generals? You mean the team that always lost to the uh, Harlem Globetrotters? That team? <laughs> yeah, the team that always they lost lose to everyone else in the NFC East. So no, no, no. Well, you know what? I'll tell you one thing. When when the Eagles were up. 17 nothing. I said, okay, same old Washington. And boy, the Eagles look pretty good. And if you're in Philly right now, Lawrence, are you thinking, I don't know about Carson Wentz. I'm not sure about this. Are you never been a fan? I've never been a fan of him. Wow. You've never been a fan of Wentz. Never. I think early in his career when he was making plays, he's just too cavalier with his body. And then he gets hurt and he's not available. And quarterbacks have to be available. And then he makes some horrible decisions late in football games. And I think he he just tries to make too many plays. I am not not a Carson Wentz fan. I think he's a good player. I think he's a starting NFL quarterback, but you have to be very cautious with him with in terms of play calling because he just does not see the easy play, the underneath route, the out route, the simple play. He's always trying to make a big play and it costs him. And listen, Washington's defense is stout. You know, we're going to have our hands full when we play them with those two ends they got. Defensively, they played well. Haskins, it looked like they kind of, you know, let him manage the game a little bit as he starts to grow into the into the position, but the Eagles, 
you know, and listen, Wentz will go 38 for 42 against us for 460 and beat us. But, you know, he, he does have some stinker games, if you will. You talk about a guy who does not take care of his body in the football at times. I mean, you know, we're moving over to another conference, but Josh Allen with the Bills, you know, they won easily against the Jets easily. But to me, when I look at him, I, I see I love his size. I love his arm. I don't love his accuracy at all. He can run. And I say, this guy is never going to make it through 16 games. Don't these guys have to get in their heads? If you're not available, it doesn't count. Stop diving head first. Stop doing these things. You need to be on the field. And I watch Josh Allen and I say, you know, you're a big dude, but there are bigger dudes out there and you're going to get clocked and you're going to get hurt. Yeah. But these guys, that's who they are. They've been that way since they were eight years old. They run around the football field. They make plays. It's hard to change what's in their head and what made them great to begin with. Carson Wentz is one. Josh Allen is another. The Eli's, the Ben Roethlisberger's, the, the Rivers. The game has just evolved into these athletic guys who they will take 55, 60% completion percentages, but they're able to create plays with their legs. That's why, in my opinion, the Russell Wilsons of the world, the Daniel Jones, the guys that can make plays with their feet and throw with accuracy are going to be your your guys. You know, Patrick Mahomes can make plays with his feet but he never puts himself in harm's way like a Carson Wentz. All right, last thing for you, Tynesy, is Steven Gostowski, clearly a system kicker in the Bill Belichick system because he goes 0 for 3 and then saves the day with a chip shot to end the game for the Titans. I'm curious your thoughts being a kicker and you know you were in the league when he was well you were still in the league when he was in the league and you know seeing a guy miss like that, I mean, what is going through his head? What is the psyche and how do you come back from three straight misses? Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. Yes, Hold on. We're back on the special teams. I did tweet last night that that Goskowski was sent as a double agent from the Patriots to wreck the Titans season and, and eliminate an AFC playoff opponent. That was all just a joke, obviously. I think for Steven, he was coming off an injury. He missed most of last year. He comes back this year. He looked actually really fit and trim. He needs to get back to adding a few more pounds to where Steven's a friend of mine. So I, I, I'm not going to pile on here, but I think the, the layoff and the fact that he's playing in this empty stadium, that has to be weird. And, and I mean, that would be weird for me. You're playing in an empty stadium. Everything's different. He had a terrible game last night and thank God he came in and saved it at the end. But I don't know. I don't, it, I don't think it's injury related. I, it just looked like he was just off in a bad way last night. All right. Let's chat with Captain Kirk Herbstreet next on Blue Rush. And joining the show now, you heard him for the first time on Monday Night Football. Did a terrific job calling the Giants-Steelers game on ESPN. He's the pride of Centerville, Ohio. You're used to hearing him on ESPN's College Game Day, ESPN College Football Games, ESPN on ABC. He's come over to the dark side or the good side, the NFL side. The big boys are in town, and it's like Bonnie and Clyde, Batman and Robin, Fowler and Herbstreet, the dynamic duo doing it all last night. Kirk Herbstreet, follow him on Twitter, at Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk, Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, Paul Schwartz here. So glad to have you on, and terrific job uh, popping your Monday Night Football cherry on Monday night. <laughs> I appreciate it. We we uh, man, we had a lot of fun uh, 
prepping for it. And when you do all the prep, the game is, is kind of the easy part. But um, it was it was great. I mean, I, I you're right. I've, I've been in college football. This is my 25th year now of, of doing college football with college game day and calling, you know, the big games on Saturday night and, and doing national championships and Rose Bowls and all that. And I love it. I mean, that's really, to be honest, that's, that's kind of my passion. Yeah, I've been asked about the NFL in the past and, and just kind of politely declined and never really showed a whole lot of interest and um, with everything going on with ESPN and the Monday Night Booth they they asked me um, if I'd be interested in, in doing this one with Chris I said yeah I, I, I'd, I'd be happy to and and uh, like I said did a lot of prep and felt uh, really comfortable calling the game it was a, it was a great time Kirk Lawrence here hey hey thanks for coming on um, I just wanted to know basic question how was it what what was good what did you like was there anything that kind of felt off obviously no fans but yeah yeah, that's the part, man. I mean, you, you do all this prep work. And by the way, the Giants and the Steelers could not have been any more gracious with their time. And I'm not just saying that to say that honestly. And I don't, maybe that's the norm, uh, in the NFL, but just blown away by the access and, and how candid and forthcoming they, they all were, which made my job so much, you feel so much more prepared when, when you have that kind of experience. So all that was. Really, and I knew a lot of these guys from college, so a lot of that was fun. And then, you know, when you pull into a stadium that's empty, you know, we can talk about, ah, you know, the game's the game, but there's just something as a broadcaster, you're just used to tailgating and, and noise and, and just stuff going on, you know, and you pull up and there's nothing, empty parking lots. You know, you go up into the booth and you look out at the stadium and you see all these empty seats and the teams are out warming up and it looks like they're warming up for like an inter-squad scrimmage, you know, that they would have in, in, uh, in August. You know, when the teams sometimes have some of those those scrimmages that they do, you know, at their facility, that's basically what it felt like. So, you know, I know the players are feeling tremendous amount of, of pressure. They're happy to be playing, but it's just obviously different. And I can tell you as a broadcaster, I was fired up just because, you know, I, I love doing games. But it was definitely the part I loved, I think, was just the ball in the air and just doing football and having Ben back and that storyline and having Joe Judge trying to change a culture and, and watching a young quarterback with a new system and the challenges of having, you know, this, this kid picked up the offense and the install, and, you know, virtually, you know, and the, the entire offense did. I mean, they didn't get their hands face to face on Daniel Jones with Jason Garrett until the end of July. So they basically had a little over a month face to face. So everything is just different, you know, for everybody, but especially when it's a new coach and a new coordinator and, and a new system. So I tried to convey that as much as I could, the, the challenges of that, but I, I loved it all. I, I really did every aspect of it. I, other than not having fans there, uh, everything else was incredible. Hey Kirk, it's Paul. Um, I, I was just wondering, uh, you know, you talk about the access the NFL gave you. I'm sure you had a chance to sit down with Joe Judge. Um, I have no idea if you ever met Joe Judge before. I I'd like to know what that interaction was like and then what you saw from him and felt from him sitting there. What did you see on the field about a Joe Judge type team? Well, first, um, I actually been calling college football, as I said, for a long time. And I didn't realize at the time, but uh, I used to do with Mike Tirico early in my career. I used to do the Thursday night games on college football. And we would do the Egg Bowl uh, every year, Mississippi, Mississippi State. So what actually, I actually covered, uh, you know, a few of his games. Uh, when he was at Mississippi State, not really knowing he'd become the head coach of the Giants one day. We reminisced a little bit about that, but really it was just what an incredible journey he's been on as a coach, you know, to be at Birmingham. What, what was the school that he was at? You know, Birmingham, whatever it was. I've never even heard of the school. And then he goes to work with Nick Saban. And from 2009 to 11, 
and then catches, you know, not only that break, but, you know, how tight uh, Coach Saban and Coach Belichick are. Then he goes to New England for eight years and has a chance to, to be around greatness, you know, back to back and picked up so many different things. So I was interested to see when I talked with him, is, is he just, you know, like a lot of guys, they try to be Bill Belichick. They try to be Nick Saban. And to his credit, I think his father impacted him as much as those coaches. He, he grew up, uh, his dad was kind of his coach, you know, whether it was basketball, baseball, or football, and, and was really tough in a good way on him and challenging. And I think he, he left a, um, a, a very big imprint on what he wanted to do with his life. And then when he got around Saban and he got around Belichick, you know, I think it just kind of continued to raise the bar of, of who he was. And so I think he's doing a really good job of sticking to himself. The thing that stood out to me now looking back at my time with the Giants is how when you talk to the players, whether it's Peppers or Saquon or Daniel Jones or any of these guys, how they're really into what he's doing. And the reason is not just, hey, go take a lap. You know, it, it, what, he, what they love is how Joe Judge and his coaches are giving these players answers to the questions. So they're making practice really hard, but they're being so detailed with their explanation that the players feel equipped to then be able to go into a game and be able to perform better. And I think um, that at the end of the day, that's really all a player wants is to be able to have information that's going to make them understand every fine, just the, the finest details that you can imagine and making a linebacker better on where he needs to be in a certain coverage or a safety or a corner or whatever it might be. So I think they, they appreciate that and they appreciate that he's got a challenge in trying to change this into a winning culture and they want to win as badly as he does. So whatever he's telling them, they're, they're like, yes, sir, let's do it. You know? And so I, I know they lost, but like I said, at the end of the broadcast, if I were a Giants fan, I, I saw enough there that I would be optimistic about what I'm seeing. Now they got to get better on the offensive line, obviously, but I would be very happy with that quarterback. I'd be happy with the skill around him led by, by Saquon. And I think the defense has a chance with that defensive line to only get better. So I think, I think there's there's pieces there that, to be optimistic about. And Joe Judge didn't have anyone running laps during the game. We didn't see a halftime <laughs> lap around the stadium. Uh, we didn't see, you know, a, a lap down the Jersey Turnpike, but maybe that'll be uh, tomorrow's activity before practice. Uh, the school you were talking about, Kirk, I'm mean, shocked you didn't know this, man, the Birmingham Southern Panthers, of course, the world yeah. famous, the BSP, everyone knows them, um, back in 2008 <laughs> as he was their linebackers coach. Uh, so Joe Judge has an interesting coach to coach up. Are you worried about Saquon Barkley, or is that something more on the offensive line? What's going on with Saquon? Oh, it's without a doubt it's the offensive line. I mean, it, you're, you're breaking in a rookie left tackle, a journeyman at right tackle, and a, and a tackle who's now playing center. And, and you're going up against T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward and Bud Dupree and Devin Bush. I mean, it, it's not surprising that they were losing the, the line of scrimmage, right? I mean, the, the whole thing with my, you know, my production team were preparing. I was like, my biggest concern isn't Daniel Jones, isn't Saquon Barkley. It's how are these tackles going to do against T.J. Watt? and Bud Dupree. And I'm sure Jason Garrett, as he prepared his plan, he, he knew, I don't know if he knew it was going to be that tough running the ball, but he knew it was going to be a challenge at the line of scrimmage. That's why whenever you saw success, it was a lot of just a lot of tempo and a lot of getting the ball out of the hands of Daniel Jones as quickly as they could. And when they did try to run the ball, it just I, mean, I don't care if it was Zeke Elliott, I don't care if it was any back in the league you named. There wasn't anybody that was going to have success running the ball last night. How do you have success when you're running into – you know, three or four white jerseys every time you get your hands on the ball. So I, I would not look at that as what's wrong with Saquon. I would look at it like, man, we got to get this line and develop some continuity. And if, with that being said, 
anybody who's been around the game, you also have to give these guys, you know, give them a little bit of time to build some chemistry and, and, and let them get better and maybe move, potentially move some other pieces in. I don't know. Maybe that's down the road. But right now, opening game, taking on the top five defense in the league, maybe the best defense in the league. I don't know, man. I, I don't like my chances of being able to run the ball. And I thought they – how about that 19-play drive? Now, it ended up with an interception. But, you know, they that's hard to do, just to move the ball – it's almost like five or six yards at a time. It wasn't. There weren't a whole lot of big plays. They were converting on third down. Kept that drive alive. But they score a touchdown there. Or they, at the very least, they get a field goal. Completely different outcome. You know, that was the turning point in the game. Uh, Daniel Jones should have eaten the ball. He threw it up, and the uh, yeah. big defensive lineman uh, intercepted it. That was that was. Uh, Joe Judge actually said that was that can't happen. I mean, you can't have a 19 play drive that goes for 87 yards and come up with no points. But- that was rough, yeah. Yeah, and, and if you remember, right after that, it was the fumble uh, because Snell ends up fumbling the, you know, after the Steelers took the ball over. He has a nice run down the right sideline. Ball go, It stays in bounds. Ball goes on the ground, and there's five or six blue jerseys right there. Ready to, the Giants are going to get the ball back plus territory. All right, you know, they, they threw the interception, but, hey, they caught a break. They're going to get the ball back. There's no way the Steelers have it. And sure enough, Juju uh, Smith-Schuster is down at the bottom of that pile with the football. So that that was – those two plays, to me, ultimately cost the Giants any opportunity in the second half of coming back. Kirk, you played quarterback. Do you marvel at what Ben Roethlisberger has done in this league? And, and to watch him last night, I think you guys referenced it really well. When he got in that two-minute drill last night, right before the end of the half, you just saw something change in him. He looked more relaxed. His feet were under him, and he started making plays. And he played like that the rest of the game. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, to be he, he's a Hall of Fame player, but to see him come back from injury and do what he does, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have a young Daniel Jones, who to me looked outstanding last night in the face of pressure all night I just want to kind of hear your thoughts on the quarterbacks totally agree and I and I think yeah we we did try to 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 say um you know with Ben there was so much anticipation of of like you say a hall of fame career achieved so much and and to see him come back and not only that the surgery that he had I don't know if it's ever been done we have three tendons reattached uh to an anchor in your bone your elbow and now you're going to come back and throw a football in the NFL. You know, as far as the, the, the injury, it looked great. But there was clearly some rust, you know. And, and the Giants' defense, especially the front and the coverage, a lot of times Ben was holding the ball because they was, guys were covered. And it just it was I, – I described it as like the offense was just kind of stuck in like second or, or third year. He all of a sudden gets back into what's made his name for him, that two-minute offense. And, you know, he, that's when he's calling the shots. They're much more aggressive. There's a tempo to it. And that's when he, I think he got into his rhythm. Them and and uh, Smith Schuster never they never really looked back so that that's that's what got him going and I think he even said something to Maria after the game uh, about feeling good from that point on and they've got a nice offense you know when you look at the pieces that they have they dealt with a few injuries last night we'll see I haven't heard you know wh- whether or not the right tackle he was crying so maybe it was pretty pretty severe and. They're starting running back. James Conner went down. They, they were able to overcome that. But they, I think they've got a chance on that side of the ball. And then with Daniel Jones, I don't know how you guys feel, but I, again, if you consider what he was facing and have to stay in there in that pocket and make throw after throw with either Bud Dupree or T.J. Watt or Cam Hayward in his face, he had a few drops early in the game. Ingram didn't have the greatest game. You know, I, I think he's a guy that's really going to have to be consistent and dynamic and stay healthy for the Giants to, to have success on that side of the ball. But I thought Daniel Jones had a 
very good command of Jason Garrett's offense and, and what they were trying to do. I know he made the mistake there on that interception at the end of that 19-play drive, but man, overall, between Jones and the talent around him, there's a lot to like. It's just whether or not that offensive line can, can come together. Kirk, I almost hesitate to ask you this because I know how uh, invested and passionate you are about it, but there is so much talk now in the Big Ten. Should they play Shouldn't they play? Um, you seem to have a connection to the Big Ten, as far as I can tell, in a certain school in the Big Ten. Um, Ryan Day has been very aggressive, saying we need to play. Our guys need to play. It's safe. I mean, this is the, the, the $10 million question. I don't know if you have a $10 million answer. I don't know if anyone does. Should the Big Ten be playing football in October or November? Well, I, I would. I guess I would say this, because you know the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are not playing, and, and it's, it's hard to just throw a blanket over, the, over that kind of question and just say, yeah, they should be playing, or no, they shouldn't. My answer is the way I describe it is this way. The Big Ten, if you look at the footprint, you have high school football being played in almost all these states, middle school football being played, professional football being played, and yet the Big Ten's not playing. And you know, I, I've talked with several doctors, conference commissioners, athletic directors, head coaches. You know, they, they first of all, that any kind of narrative that the coaches don't care about the players and their health is ridiculous. Of course they do. They're coming out, the Big Ten, part of their, their explanation to the presidents uh, this past weekend was, hey, we, we can test now every day. And that, I think, could be potentially a game changer to get the Big Ten back on the field. Because without that, that kind of test testing and access to that kind of testing, I think that's what made the presidents worried and concerned. And you had the issue about contact tracing and how that can impact an entire roster. So I, I think that the presentation from everything I've heard went very, very well with the chancellors and presidents. They're kind of debating on whether or not not, not so much whether, maybe when they're going to re-vote, and if they get nine votes from the from the fourteen presidents, then they'll they'll start up. I would be okay. In fact, I have two sons that play at Clemson. They're they're preferred walk-ons there, and they've been dinged twice on contact tracing. In fact, they're in the middle of one right now where their roommate tested positive. Almost every case of that age group in college uh, football has been either asymptomatic or very very small symptoms where they've lost the sense of taste or smell. I do not go to bed at night worrying that my kids potentially are going to get this virus and it, and it could get serious. I Just like I don't go to bed at night worrying about my kids being struck by lightning. It's just the way I, I view it. So I'm, uh, I'm fine uh, with everything. I feel really good as a parent with my kids at the facility, with the coaches, with the doctors, with the protocol than I would if they weren't in football and they were going to Chipotle and they were just, you know, being college kids. I'd be way more concerned about that than them playing football and, and being under the, the kind of the, that tent or the, or the watchful eye of, of a bunch of people that care about them. So um, I think the Big Ten should play, and I, I'd be very surprised if they don't get back up and running by mid-October would be my guess. Kirk, you and uh, you and Chris Fowler have been calling college football games 25 years. You got rave reviews last night for your NFL opener. I mean, what do you think? Can, can you make this kind of either full-time gig or do it with college? Because I do think you guys should be calling more games together. You guys are, you know, Bonnie and Clyde. I'm sure at this point it's like Mad Libs. He finishes your sentences. You know, he's using meatballs <laughs> to your spaghetti. You guys are like, you know, you guys are a combo. Well, I appreciate it, man. Like I said, we had a ball doing it. We, we, for me personally, I'm, I'm a, I grew up in the Big Ten region. My dad played at Ohio State. You know, he he was coached with Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler, and when you grow up in Ohio in the '70s and '80s, like it, it just it's it's in your blood. And so, 
you know, in the NFL world and to be in the East Coast, it may, that may sound strange, but there's nothing like a college football game for me with the bands and the, and the ambiance, and the, just the energy that it provides every Saturday. So I would never leave college football. I mean, I, I, I say that. I would like to never leave college football. I would love at some point maybe to do the NFL in addition to college, but I don't think I would ever like to be in a position to say, hey, we want you to do football in the NFL, but sorry, man, you got to leave college. I, I would have to, to do both if I did it because it, college football feeds my soul, and, and I, I just can't get away from that. So I, I loved last night. I had a ball. I know Chris did too. Our whole team, our whole production team did. And we hope to be able to do more. But hopefully if I if I do it down the road, I, I just like to do both, if, if that would be okay by, by ESPN. Well, clear your Sunday, your Sundays and Mondays along with your Saturdays because <laughs> you never know. That opportunity could come, Kirk. So uh, I, hope, well, I hope so, man. I, I hope so. We'll, we'll see. Like I said, I, I was very surprised by how much fun I had doing it. I, I've been a fan of, of the NFL, but not nearly as passionate about the NFL as I am college. And, and so to walk out of that stadium, even without any fans, and have the time that we had was, was definitely a step in a very good direction for me. Do you and Chris match Halloween outfits or no? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, man. By the way, he did U.S. Open for two weeks. Uh, yeah, he's a machine. Chris Fowler's a machine. Yeah, he really is. So talented. Well, Kirk, we appreciate you coming on. And listen, you know, I wasn't actually cutting onions, but it felt like I did when we, you know, we saw your emotional video. I think it was last week or the week before um, with, with you on ESPN and Maria Taylor crying as well. So um, thank you for that and pouring your emotions out. We really appreciated that. And um, it really yeah, meant great. something. And if you saw that and, you know, had a dry eye, then I don't know if you have a soul. So uh, I'll say great job with that, Kirk. And we enjoyed you last thank night. You. And we'll be watching you all season on ESPN. I right, appreciate thanks, it, man. man. Yep. You got it, guys. Happy to anytime. You got it. That ends episode 35, the Kevin Dockery edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Blue Rush wherever you listen to podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating there and write a nice review. For Paul Swartz, I'm Lawrence Steins. We return Thursday as we preview the Giants' Week 2 matchup with the Bears in Chicago. My old teammate and two-time Super Bowl champ Ahmad Bradshaw joins us. Talk to you then and stay safe.